This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Kia ora and welcome to episode 139 of the Half Measures Podcast. I'm once again joined by my friend and co-host, the man who holds the one ring to the wall. How are you, Mr. Kanawa? Kia ora, Dan. I'm, I'm good. I do have that one ring of power. Um, it's a shared ring, but uh, I do hold it. Who do you share your ring with? Well... It's it's. I presume you're talking about the wedding ring, right? So we both we both have the wedding ring, right? It's like it's a, it's a two ring, two rings to rule them all. Oh right, so there's two. You're not just sharing the ring with your wife. You don't have like this is my day to wear it. This is your day to Cust- wear it. Custody on weekends. No. Yep. Yep. Oh well, good good to know. What's been happening in the in the Kanawa household? Well, it's been a real busy week, as I keep saying, but it is also I note then that time of year where I'm starting to get ready for. The excitement of Halloween, and by the excitement of Halloween, I do of course mean preparing the house, getting it all ready to close the curtains, turn the lights off, have everyone silent, have the headphones on, and pretend to be out so that no trick or treaters can bother me. I really like to get into the Halloween spirit. What about you? It's also a great time to be like, I better go get some Halloween candy just in case someone comes round, and that's almost a guaranteed tactic that no one will come to your house at the end. You then get candy at the end. Yes, well, see, my wife is not as antisocial and and uh, scroogey as me and so that is exactly what happened at the grocery shop this week all the lollies were and i was like oh and then i realized oh that's not for me i feel like like halloween's come a long way in new zealand because i feel like you know growing up it was never really a thing and it's sort of just over the year every year it gets more and more and more it's it's mainstream now it's it's not even a it's global yeah no oh look it it it's it's big and there are a number of people who are into it that are starting to get me a little bit more into a few of these movies. I've watched more horrors this movie, this year than I can ever say I've ever watched in any year previously. And of course, you know, we have Malignant as our movie of the week this week. So it's a big, you know, all in ready for Halloween. It's uh, it's good. Based on that then, Paul, should we jump into it? What have you been watching this week? Okay, so I've got a couple of things to talk about before we go into our shared watches dan the first one is a mini series uh australian mini series and i don't watch that many australian drama tv series if i'm honest uh called the 12 and so this is a 10 episode uh series and it's a mini series so we always as we always say one and done we love that and this is behind the scenes almost of a courtroom drama so rather than following the story from the point of view exclusively of prosecution or defense this is actually following the the jury of 12 ordinary people who as the synopsis says bring with them their own histories so um so yeah like i've seen a number of australian movies we've done a couple on movie of the week and of course you and i watch utopia great great australian comedy but this this is uh, one of very few Australian dramas I've watched. And so I can hands down say this is the best Australian TV drama I've seen in years. I really did enjoy this. I really love the angle of following a court case, but from 
following it, what happens in that room. So in the in the jury room, in the jury box. And of course, the big thing is, is that what happens outside of court time. So, you know, you, typically when you watch a drama like this, normally you sort of see the jury and they're in, they're in the, in the box and, and that's it. But of course these guys have got all these things going on in their lives and real problems and real things happening that may influence their decision or how they may even treat their own friends and family outside of court, depending on what's going on. And so I've really enjoyed the angle of focusing in on the jury. I see from one of the, the first photos on IMDb, it's got uh, New Zealand's own Sam Neill involved in this as well. Yeah, and so Sam Neill was definitely one of the leads in this, and he is absolutely superb in this, and I don't say that as a biased Kiwi. I, I, he has a, such a – talk about casting. He has such a great look and stature and a perfect voice for a defence lawyer, really, at times – you know, when he really lays it on condescending and really quite uh, intimidating. I've always found Sam Neill's voice quite fascinating. He's always had a tinge of Pierce Brosnan-ish around the, mm-hmm. in terms of the, the, the when he sort of gets a little cocky or smarmy or something. There's something really delightful about that. So he was um, superb in this. The, um, I'll be honest, there were some really great performances from largely actors and actresses who I'd not heard of or, or seen before, but... There was there was no real weak links here, so it's the sort of thing now. If I see some of these names sort of crop up, I would sort of you know give something a go because a lot of the a lot of the twelve, so to speak, um, were, were 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 very very strong and um, gave some really really convincing performances. So it was a real good watch. I love a good uh, Australian show. I think you know they they often smash it out of the park. What uh, what platform are you watching this on, Paul? So this is available here in New Zealand on TVNZ. Um, I oh, sorry, TVNZ Plus the you know, the app. I um I would say so. It's ten episodes. I would say I reckon they could have done that in eight. You're following the lives of twelve people, and so that's a lot of stories to you know when we took when we you and i reviewed the outlaws and that you know there's quite a few of them in that cast and they're sort of trying to show the personal lives of all of those it was the same thing here it was almost maybe just a little too much to try and keep up with it and um that would be my one criticism but um yeah it's um what i like about it is it keeps you guessing but rather than keeping you guessing, oh, are they guilty or not guilty? What you're guessing, you're trying to work out from the conversations that are happening and how they're analysing things, who, and you're sort of keeping tally, who's going to vote guilty, who's going to vote not guilty? And that's the, trying to figure out their decisions rather than, because that will be the verdict. Um, and so, yeah, so TVNZ Plus in New Zealand. Look, it sounds interesting. I... You know, we love a good sort of mini series, limited series. It's it's always good when it's kind of time boxed. And so, are the stories of these jurors somehow interlinked with the case, or is it more around just the different stuff they have going on and the the impact on the outcome of the case? A little bit of both, and of course, you even follow some of the stories of some of the witnesses as well as the the accused. Of course, like the the actual uh, Kate Mulvaney as uh, the the actress who plays the accused. And of course you've got all of her history and the people in the box as well. But some of those stories are red herrings. Some of them have no bearing at all. Some of them just simply uh, show 
the stresses in their lives that when they come into the room, certain people's attitudes in the in the jury room may trigger them based on the way their partner treats them or the the, the way they've been treated at work or, or or whatever else it may be. But the, it is very cleverly written in terms of the how it's intertwined. That there's one guy who's in trouble with a bit of a bit of a gang, and so they're putting pressure on him to get a certain verdict from the jury and they're, they're trying to get pressure on him to convince people to say not guilty and so there's there's different angles like that there's racial prejudice there's there's a lot of different stories there's a really very very for me that probably the strongest story of the lot of of one of um uh, this was a brooke satchwell uh, a story of um domestic violence and bullying and, and abuse and um it's a very powerful watch so so yeah, all of those all of those stories come together to form the the foundation on which that verdict comes from. It's, it's uh, yeah. And final question for you, Paul: Is this a show that you would put on that could watch with your parents? List hundred percent. That's a that's a great great shout, Dan. This is right up there. It's um, and this is where you're glad it's ten episodes because it you know it's gonna it's gonna take you through the whole two weeks or whatever you've got visitors for because you know how i feel about visitors so no this this would be a great one for um for watching with your parents that's a new measure i like that that's good good shout another thing which you could definitely watch with your parents if they're into it is doctor who so i in all my years and years of watching doctor who i've never done this before i jumped the timeline and that is because i got too caught up in the moment this week of the huge so the huge season finale this week of Doctor Who um, so I'm leaving my catch up where I was a few you know maybe a couple of months ago and I've jumped ahead to the final Jodie Whittaker story The Power of the Doctor and um, yeah this this finale has had more views worldwide than any other Doctor Who story in quite a while and I really really rated this and I will be talking full spoilers about this so if you were wanting to avoid it skip ahead maybe five or six i don't know this was an absolutely superb doctor who story and as a finale it was absolutely i mean i don't know how much you must have seen it was it was trending all over the place in all the socials it was superb all i know about this is spoilers jumping into them is that all the old doctors appeared in this and obviously the sort of the the, the transition out of uh, Jodie Whittaker. That, that, yeah. But I, that's about as deep as my knowledge goes. Yeah, so that's, that was a big reason for me. In fact, I'll be honest with you right now, that was essentially the big moment for me that forced me to say, okay, I need to watch this now because um, I checked in uh, with a couple of trusted colleagues about whether or not this was good or not. And I asked some very direct questions and I got some very direct answers and yes. So, so before I talk about the episode itself, the big, the big moment for me is, um, that's so, so Jodie Whittaker's doctor gets in, put into a situation where she gets forced to regenerate. So normally, you know, the doctor gets shot or killed or something, and that's what causes regeneration. This one is a forced regeneration where the master, um, tries to, sort of put his consciousness into hers. And in that moment of her being forced out of the body, so to speak, she has an opportunity to to uh, meet her previous incarnation's consciousness. And so all of a sudden, she's there talking to the fifth Doctor, the sixth Doctor, the seventh, the eighth, and the, f- the first Doctor as well. So um, 
we've got Colin Baker, my favourite Doctor from 1984 to 1986, who has not appeared on screen as the Doctor since in canon since 1986, and he's there. Peter Davison, Sylvester McCoy, Paul McGann. They even had. So you and I reviewed um, an adventure in time and space uh, with David Bradley portraying the first Doctor. So he shows up as the first Doctor, or the original, you might say. So this is a huge moment because the, these Doctors were overlooked for, for decades in terms of showing up because they often do multiple Doctor shows. And 10 years ago, we had the 50th anniversary with Tom Baker showing up. Um, and this time, the other four Doctors, five, six, seven, eight, they get their chance and I'd say it's actually a record number of Doctors to appear in a single story. That would be my guess. But that was my magic. Was this was this a surprise that all these Doctors were going to appear, oh, or was it sort of well-known? Total, utter surprise. Like, um, So we've got the 60th anniversary coming up next year. Um, and in fact, we won't see any more Doctor Who until the 60th. And so with the 60th, I think there was an anticipation, oh, who knows what might happen you you would normally expect a doctor or two or something to significant to happen um but as a season finale i think it caught i would say everyone off guard um and but this is the icing on a already incredibly tasty cake this this story is just really 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 good it's um jodie whittaker as an actress i you know i really enjoyed her in in broadchurch she played um Beth, I think it was Beth and Borchich. And so I was so pleased when she got the role. All the, this is all the way back in 2017. So she's had a long run as the doctor, but with COVID and other things, you know, she's had less stories perhaps than she might normally have expected to. Um, and so based on the fact that this is my first story I've watched of her, cause I've jumped the timeline. She's already convinced me as the doctor, you know, she, I find a, um, very, very, um, there's a real sense of fun, a real flamboyance to her. She, she's got this great Northern accent, which really lends itself to that. Um, just a really good choice. And although I'm seeing her when she's at the end, so she's already in full stride, having played the character for years, I've no doubt that she'll be good right from the start. This is a, a great review, Paul. And so you just jumped straight into season 13, episode nine, or did you do a few episodes kind of leading up just to Just straight into, right. and it is, you know, it's like an hour and a half for that. It's just like a kind of like a movie length in that respect. Um, I just, I just knew about these doctors and not just the doctors as well. There's also companions, um, like the, the, the companions from several doctors over the years have a meetup at the end, which is really touching conversation. This includes then a, com a companion, who was alongside the first Doctor, which is incredible. 1963's Doc William Hartnell, the, 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 the actor who played the companion, Ian, returns alongside other companions who have, and some of the companions have significant roles in this, and they were companions that I grew up with in the 80s as well. So this was, this is kind of like watching, if you think about Picard from 1987 returning, you know, so many years later. Um, and the regeneration of any Doctor it's always a special moment in Doctor Who sort of lore um, because you know the person who's playing the Doctor, you can sort of see what they might actually be feeling in that moment as well because they know their part of something bigger than them. It's a part of history. They remember being the new one themselves when the outgoing Doctor was on the way out and so they're passing on. Now they're the, they're the one out. It must be kind of like, kind of like what, I guess, a Bond in their right. final film probably 
assuming they know it's their final film um so yeah and so i'm just sort of scanning this um imdb page and were we missing a couple of doctors like i don't see the yeah the first doctor when that sort of relaunched and he had like billy piper as a side no so so these are the classic doctors so william hartnell Patrick Trout and John Pertwee, the first three have all passed away. Tom Baker was in the 50th anniversary. This time we get Doctors 5, 6, 7, 8. Um, uh, so that's Peter, Colin, Sylvester and Paul, um, with David Bradley showing as the first. And that's so it's all of those classic Doctors. So after that is when we, you would have the modern era, Christopher Eccleston, David Tennant, gotcha. Matt Smith. And so none of those show up, although since I am talking full spoilers, when Jodie Whittaker regenerates at the end and we all, we've all heard the news about who the incoming doctor is, it's a big surprise to everyone when she regenerates and all of a sudden David Tennant is stood there and she's regenerated back into a incarnation of David. And so never before in the 59 years has a doctor regenerated into a previous incarnation. So she's the 13th doctor. And she's now reincarnated into a version of the 10th, who's now the 14th. It's all a bit, you know, if if you're not a Doctor Who fan, you must be thinking, what is this all about? But um, it was, it was, it was great. What a time to be alive, Paul, if you're a, if you're a fan. I, I've used those words today, talking, talking about Doctor Who. I used that very expression saying, what a time to be alive. It, um... It's, yeah, it really was a touching moment to watch. And the other thing is, from a Doctor Who fan's point of view, is you, you you know, at a regeneration, you really either love your Doctor or you maybe you don't like the Doctor and it's a change. I remember David Tennant the first time around regenerating and I'd really enjoyed him. And all of a sudden, Matt Smith was stood there and I was kind of like, oh, okay, I'm excited for you, but it won't be the same. And yet, he's my favorite Doctor of modern Who. So you just never know what's going to happen the next time you regenerate. And we won't find out until November next year for the 60th anniversary special, which presumably is when David Tennant will regenerate into the incoming doctor that we're expecting. And a fear of falling deep into the TARDIS. <laughs> when a doctor regenerates, are we talking like a, like a, a Terminator, like on the ground, like sort of in the fetal position? Are we talking like a, uh, quantum leap kind of looking in the mirror like oh i've got a new face like um oh boy well yeah oh boy <laughs> that's a really good um no so the regeneration has been done in many different ways particularly in the first uh, i would say nine sort of uh regenerations uh, but since then it's kind of been a little bit more so the typically the arms go out uh oh, yeah. in the sort of Cristiano Ronaldo pose, if you like, <laughs> and the the beams of uh, regenerative Time Lord energy. That's an official term. I'm mean, going to get absolutely pummeled for that. So that's just, you know, just firing off in all directions like Starkiller Base kind of thing. And do you arrive with a new sonic screwdriver or do you have just the same one? I see what you're doing here, Dan. You're trying to catch me out so that I can get ripped to pieces. Um, the, <laughs> the, 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 the Doctor typically... Uh, regenerates in the clothes of the previous doctor which is always a funny moment because then you've always got that one photo in time of a doctor wearing the old doctor's clothes um, although this time around something different happened and i don't have the answers for that i'm sure some people do but the sonic screwdriver sort of changes with each doctor uh, so that does change as does the interior of the tardis and that is the i've got two complaints i might make and one is that the interior of the uh, bearing in mind this is the first time i've seen her run uh, Jodie's run is that I don't, I don't like the interior of the TARDIS compared to others that I've seen. So um, 
that's not for me. Um, and what was my other, oh, they managed to have this really odd scene where the master, the other thing is you've got the Daleks and the Cybermen in this story, classic Doctor Who villains all together, the master, the Doctor and the Cybermen, again, in 60, 59 years, never happened before. But there's this scene where the master's walking around and somehow starts dancing to Boney M um, and <laughs> dressed up as Rasputin and the Dalek and a Cyberman both turn and look at each other as much to say, what's going on here? It was a little bit too much for me. The music was a bit out of step, but I'm sure a lot of people who love music in films probably loved it. This is great, Paul. This is great. I, it sounds like you've had a great time. Oh, fantastic. I think, are you, so you're going to go now back to where you were in the, in the timeline and carry on watching? Yeah, that's right. And look, if that's my biggest complaint, that's, that's, how, that's how good it is. This gets all the guns from me. So now I've got until November 2023 to catch up, which I think is doable because I've basically got the seasons of Peter Capaldi. You've got a few seasons there and then a couple, you know, three seasons of Jodie Whittaker. So I reckon by the time the 60th anniversary comes along, I'll be, I'll be right up to date. Amazing. That's a, you've had a good week. Yeah fully recommend it i mean i don't know if i've done it and i feel like i've talked about all the all of the superficial stuff it's just a really well written story um it just was an emotionally hitting moment there was some great supporting cast bradley walsh from the chase is a companion i didn't think i could cope with that but he was great um the master who i haven't again seen before he was absolutely um superb just really really um convincing so yeah get amongst it sasha sasha darwin superb as the master awesome that's good what have you been watching and so, i'm gonna stop, well, you're stop me because otherwise i'm just gonna keep talking doctor who yeah 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 right so um I, my first thing will probably be pretty quick so i've watched season two of mythic quest so this is a series i started on apple tv a couple of episodes ago and sort of finally came back and finished season two had again another fantastic time with this one and it's kind of timed perfectly because season three is coming out on the 11th of november which i you know kind of feel ready to sort of step into that still just as many laughs still great characters um Nothing really new to say from what I've already said about the first season. I think it's just a, a good, fun watch. And I think this has really inspired us to, to actually pick up another palate cleanser, which I'm not quite ready to talk about yet, but I will talk about soon. Um, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. So by Rob McElhenney, he's uh, stars in that and he's one of the the writers of that show and he's also the, one of the writers of Mythic Quest and it's the obviously it's a bit of a, a different type of humor over and it's always sunny in Philadelphia but like just it's it's just hitting in the right spot and it's filling a, a great void in our in our life at the moment so um yeah Mythic Quest if it's sort of if you like a good sort of 30 minute sort of sitcom-ish type comedy mm. this is about a game studio whole bunch of quirky characters kind of as sort of some Brooklyn Nine-Nine a little bit of office a little bit of a risk development type vibes stunning cast I think this is a, a good one for you and as I say third season is about to launch in about 10 days time and this is Apple TV plus Apple TV yeah Great. it's there Apple TV plus or Apple TV I always notice I say the plus and you just say TV what's the difference there I just say Apple TV. I've never said the plus. You never said the plus. I don't, I don't see pluses or minuses, Paul. I just see. <laughs> <laughs> I asked. I really walked into that, didn't I? 
<laughs> what else have you been watching, Dan? Uh, the other thing that I'd love to talk about is, so we had the final episode of The House of the Dragon. So this is the, the 10 episode uh, prequel Game of Thrones, sort of set... Uh, 172, 172 years before the, the birth of Daenerys Targaryen. And so this is sort of several generations back in the in the, the Game of Thrones timeline. And you might have heard me talk about a few episodes here and there. I talked about this when after I watched the first episode and, and maybe I lightly touched on it midway through the season. This was a show that I think I, I came into if you've been a long time listener of the of the show, a little bit a little bit burned, a little bit sort of um a little bit sour after the the conclusion of Game of Thrones. And to be honest, hadn't really put a lot of kind of stock and interest in the House of the Dragon, still feeling a bit hurt. But I'll tell you, Paul, this has completely changed my outlook on life. This show, incredible. Definitely gonna be in my top ten. And it's actually like, I love it so much. It's brought back all of those, like, classic Game of Thrones vibes for me. Good storytelling, high drama, high fantasy. Uh, there's all sorts of betrayal and intrigue and, and drama in the show. And I think what's what's been kind of interesting about this season is they've had quite a few time jumps. And because of that, it's they've been able to, on one hand, move the story along quite a quite a bit more quickly than they were in uh, Game of Thrones. And that has meant sort of a, a change of cast and, and characters, which was kind of a high-risk move because you kind of get used to and comfortable with certain actors. But honestly, this casting is so, so good. And I know that a few people have been a little bit uh, unsure about the time jumps because I think you easily could have made season one last for two seasons if you kind of stretched that a little bit. But... I think they've already, and we talked about this in the news desk last last week, the week before, they're already talking this might sort of be a, a four-season TV show. Mm. I'm here for it, Paul. I'm so amped up on Game of Thrones right now. I'm ready to give the original Game of Thrones another go from start to finish. I'm ready to forgive the sins of the past. This TV show is aces. There's so many conversations happening at my work about this, and the excitement i can see the excitement in people's eyes you know when people talk about a tv show and I, it reminds me it reminds me i guess of the kind of face expressions and the the, the excitement and the buzz that used used to be the case when people would come to work and be talking about last night's walking dead or or that maybe even like a, a house of cards or, or even the original game of thrones it was that kind of level of intensity about people in terms of everyone's hyped up and like, did you see it? Did you see it? You know, that kind of thing. So that that's always a good sign. And it's, to be honest, it's really good to feel that way again. And it's really good to watch a TV show and just, you can't wait to discuss it at the end. And it already feels like a, a season of a show. I could easily leave this podcast and go put on play, watch all 10 episodes and have a fantastic time. And it's, it's just so interesting seeing the, particularly the Targaryen family, uh, for those of you who may not be familiar with Game of Thrones, like so they kind of slowly kind of reemerged as the uh, the key sort of force in the Game of Thrones and slowly sort of reintroduced dragons. But we're we're talking about a time where key members of the Targaryen family all have dragons. There's heaps of dragons in the sky. There's there's so many kind of high fantasy kind of elements going on. There's so much betrayal. There's so there's just so much drama. It's 
it's so wonderful to be back in this universe and I feel like the the writers the 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 storytellers here like they really care about telling a, a good story and I just hope that they can maintain this momentum and and sort of finish it the way that they've started and the reason I, I think I'm a bit more hopeful for this is with the original Game of Thrones obviously they they ultimately ran out of books and they were kind of freestyling a little bit at the end mm. as they sort of tried to, right. to wrap up the story whereas this is a this is already done it's already kind of the the bookings are there, so it's really up for them sort of, and they're sort of adapting to that a little bit, putting a little bit of creative license on the storytelling. But in theory, all the pillars for greatness are in place. And talking about the cast, I mean, I've just been scrolling through some of the names. It is top draw names as well. Um, Reese Iphons, Matt Smith, I was just talking about before, Paddy Considine, Bill Patterson, I really always enjoy his stuff. Um, the, the quality of the production, just looking through all the photos, looks at the standard you would expect. Not a water bottle or a Starbucks cup in sight, which is good. Um, I've heard none of those that's sorts normally, of stories. That's normally uh, final season type behavior. Oh, okay. We think we're getting a, a bit more lax. But yeah, I think you're right. Like the, This cast is so good. And I think, you know, Matt Smith is a is a fascinating, fascinating character. So he plays uh, Prince Damon Targaryen. And it, in theory, Everyone should hate him. Like mm. he's like he's 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 got some real bad bad uh, bad vibe energy. But he is like the internet just loves him. They love how much of a villain he is, and you kind of hear the term around the internet, old uh, Daddy Damon. And it's he can do no wrong, even though he's on paper should be one of the most unlikable characters imaginable. You've got. Uh, Olivia Cook, who, you know, she was great in uh, Bates Motel. To see her sort of, like, come out, she she plays uh, Queen Alison Hightower. Mm. You've got um, Emma Darcy, who's absolutely incredible. Like, she plays an amazing role as Princess uh, Rhaenyra Targaryen, and it's, it's, it's good, Paul. If you I, – I wish you were into this so that we could go real, real, real deep into the – into the swords and sandals drama. Swords and sandals. Matt Smith's look is exquisite. Like it's a real, you know, anyone who is like, yeah, what was it we watched the other day? And I said, oh, Finn Wolfhart. What's his oh, name yeah. from, like, from Stranger Things? Like, please, can you change the yeah. look so he doesn't? I mean, they couldn't make him look any different than he did as, as Doctor Who or indeed as um, Prince Philip in The Crown. And he just looks... I, I could imagine that he would be superb in a villainous role. But the other thing I've been hearing a lot about actually is nothing to do with the cast at all, but actually the dragons themselves. Mm. Look, the dragons are great. And there's, there's so many dragons and there's dragons that have been around for hundreds of years and they're enormous. And then there's kind of like smaller scale dragons. And there's just a whole bunch of sort of fascinating lore around this where you know, Targaryens, uh, most commonly in the show, ride the dragons. They they become dragon riders, and they they form a, a bond with a dragon. And but you never really control a dragon ball. Like you, you can be a rider, but you're you're never you're never really in control. And so, it's it, it's just so good because when you go back to original Game of Thrones, like we had baby dragons at the end of season one, and then those dragons slowly kind of grew up over the next eight seasons, and we eventually got got full size dragons. But this feels like we are we're deep into, you know, season three, season four Game of Thrones because I think they've just been able to sort of progress the story along uh, so quickly. I think this is. 
I think just done wonderful things to revive the series. There's already talk of uh, a Game of Thrones spin-off, and I think if this hadn't have been there and hadn't have been successful, I think the appetite for that Game of Thrones spin-off might have been a little bit limited and a little bit kind of met with a bit of a, a weary eye. But I think this is is this has healed a lot of uh, a lot of hurt. That's great. And on the subject of riding dragons, I feel like Harry Potter, I feel like Lord of the Rings, some of those animals were a bit tamer, perhaps, because these dragons look quite ferocious. These are these are proper dragons. Oh, they're actually real, so, um, real dragons. Amazing. They're real dragons. Um, it took you know they had to they had to go uh, deep into Europe, I believe, to to find those dragons. Just next, but, um, just next to Jurassic Park, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So now look, I, I, you know, with all this stuff, technology is always improving. Um, I think the the hard thing with a show like this, and I think it's going to be the same issue with the next show we're going to talk about is how long is it going to take to get another season? And I think because there's so much um, production work that needs to go into it, so many special effects that need to be done. There's so much like costuming and props that you can't just kind of bang out another season to be ready to go in eight to 12 months. Like, you know, I've I've seen different things. It, it could be late twenty twenty three. It could be twenty twenty four. And it's 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 a shame that we have to wait that long. But it's if you're making a show to this quality, then I guess it is what it is. Yeah. Oh, look. Um. Sometimes the longer you have to wait, the better it can be. And some shows that arrive too quickly, maybe there's a a few question marks to be added. Unless, of course, it was filmed back to back. Yeah, indeed. So this is a show that you can, if you're in New Zealand, you can binge all 10 episodes of season one on Neon, um, where you can also find the other episodes that seasons of Game of Thrones. So this is uh, all the guns for me. I, I've just honestly had the best time. It's, I think it's been one of my favourite TV shows of the year. Amazing. Well, I look forward to seeing where that places come the end of the year for our top 10, which is to be honest, Dan, not that far away, right? We're we're talking weeks, Paul. Before we, I was looking at my list today, actually, and I, I've got about nineteen shows on there at the moment, and I know there's still a couple more shows to come out. So I'm down to twenty three. I've I managed to, to just knock a couple out of of contention. I need to get working on that. Incredible. Shall we uh, jump on over to our joint watch, which is another, uh, I guess swords and sandals drama with the lord of the rings the rings of power yeah so definitely definitely swords slightly less sandals maybe some big feet here and there as well some hobbit feet so this is um as the synopsis says this is set thousands of years uh before the events of the hobbit um which of course is set before the the lord of the rings and we follow a cast of characters, some familiar, some new, as they confront the long-feared re-emergence of evil to Middle-earth, a.k.a. New Zealand. Paul, I came into the show kind of with, I guess I would say, low expectations. I, you know, like normally a show like this, a bit like House of the Dragon, I would probably watch week by week, but I think we sort of made the call that let's kind of do a, a big uh, one and done review. Mm. And I I kind of just sort of, I tried to stay away from reviews, but I kind of heard surface murmurings both um, for and against this TV show. I sort of heard comparisons against House of the Dragon. I watched the original trailer when it first sort of dropped, and I 
didn't really know how I, I felt. I didn't feel like it was the Lord of the Rings, the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings that I, that I loved. But um, with this, Paul, as soon as we put on the first episode, I was back in Middle Earth, and I honestly had an amazing time. I loved all eight episodes. I It was just like it was a – it was so it was so incredibly done i think again like such such big sort of shout outs for the props the special effects the i think it was a a, a complicated and sort of like quite sort of twisted story and i i loved to seeing a, a, a younger gladriel i i did find myself often a lot of the times trying to kind of place in the timeline where different things were and what was actually happening and and whether you know what character is this and is this character linked to someone that we might know and and I think most of the time you've just sort of got to say to yourself no they're not because this is literally thousands of years before before those events but all in all I thought this was a a really great show and I, I really enjoyed the story this is for me I would say and this is a big call I would say this is the greatest uh visual experience of a tv show the greatest looking tv show i have ever seen bar none this is what a billion dollars i understand will get you in terms of every episode being not only of a movie quality but of a really good movie quality the the scenery the production the costumes the effects the makeup all just so superb and so that provided the what's the word i'm looking for here for me to believe that this was connected to the Lord of the Rings, the, the the Peter Jackson, the six movies, it needed to be of that quality for me to accept it. Just as the same with something like The Mandalorian with Star Wars, it needed to be of that quality for me to accept it into that universe. So this this really, really helped me to enjoy this series as we went along. I was convinced uh, most of the way through watching this TV show that we were watching two alternate timelines. And for some reason, I, and I don't know why I thought this, but I was sort of almost, I, I convinced myself that the, particularly the uh, the Hobbit storyline with the, the Brandyfoots and Nori and uh, Poppy Proudfather, was it was at a different timeline to the story that we we're watching with Galadriel right. and Elrond. And, and I wondered whether they were going to at some point kind of like, sync up and I wasn't sure what was the more advanced timeline but obviously that that never quite played out but I kind of enjoyed the um I think that the mystery and intrigue around that story and I think I, I just thought it was so great at the very start the way they introduced us to Gladriel I love the way that she was like scaling that cliff in her in her armor and then she's taking on cave trolls sort of on her own and she was sort of a real independent unit to the despise of her of her wider party, but it was, and it was great to sort of be back again with uh, dwarves, and I think like just seeing like someone like Lenny Lenny Henry as a as oh, a hobbit, incredible, incredible. He, he he was so good. There was one moment when he was celebrating the amount of food that they'd harvested that he let out a what was a quintessential Lenny Henry laugh it was the only time that it was kind of uh apparent that uh, other than obviously being him that there was a moment of, of actual of Lenny Henry in there so that was that was really really good I am a you know I I'm a I'm a bit of a part-time you know I I know the movies so I haven't read the books or I haven't really explored the lore of the Lord of Rings more than just those 
those six movies and this this goes really deep and i feel like this series the the bigger the lord of the rings fans you are the more you're going to be able to get out of it because you're going to be able to go through scene by scene and and see things that a casual watcher like me isn't perhaps going to pick up on it's this is like the prequel trilogy for, for for casual Star Wars fans missing out on some of the little nuances and sort of spotting Bib Fortuna here and there, that sort of thing. I definitely think this is uh, a story where like I couldn't if I had to take a an exam on this, I, w- I would probably definitely fail <laughs> Me it. Too. In the sense that um I don't know like I don't know who the the three goth witches were that came and the sort of yeah. like, who were sort of like hunt, hunting everyone Terrifying and I feel like there's too. There's a there's quite a bit of I think uh, Tolkien lore around a lot of these characters, which I think they kind of relied quite heavily on people knowing that I think could have done with a little bit of I think classic either Elrond or Galadriel kind of narrative voiceover maybe at the start. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that would have been would have been nice. It would have been a bit of a tie to bring it into those. Like there were moments where I really would have loved. Um, to hear some classic Lord of the Rings themes at big key moments to really bring back that flavour. But yeah, I think a, a voiceover would have been good. I really enjoyed, um, of all the stories, I think the dwarves, I really enjoyed that part of the story and the the the, the camaraderie and and that sort of thing. I really enjoyed, I mean, we're talking spoilers, I love the, the very slow reveal and very subtle reveal of Gandalf. I thought that was really cleverly done. I didn't realize, I th- I'll be honest, I thought the first two episodes were a little slow and it kind of picked up for me, but I didn't actually realize Jerry because I don't know the names <laughs> that well. I was like, oh, so this is the one, this is Kate Blanchett's character. And it took me a while to f- connect those dots, but um, once I got there, I was fine. I really enjoyed, I think for me, my favorite storyline was the Aaron Deer, the the elf story where you know basically like you've been captured by the orcs and trying to sort of save this this sort of small town and i think i I was intrigued about all these sort of different kind of stories and plot points that were happening and i can see what i felt like season one was it was kind of world building Mm. in the sense Mm -hmm. that they they are getting ready to tell a nine ten season um, show which could play on here for the next 15 years oh a hundred percent and by the time you get and i think having eight episodes i thought that was i thought it was perfectly timed i thought that was a great number of episodes by the time you get to the end of episode eight which is a superb finish that really now the next episode that's the one i'm really ready to press play on that's where you can see you want to see her go off again if you want to see these stories progress and it's really set it up really well i think world building is a really good analogy there's another show that you and i will talk about in a couple of weeks where i think i'll use that expression you may be able to guess what i'm talking about but uh yeah definitely right yeah so i think for me this this was a real surprise and delight because i think as i was saying the the original sort of the reveal trailer didn't really do it for me it felt too cgi for me but i felt when i was when i was back in this movie i felt connected to lord of the rings and you know, much like talking about the House of the Dragon, this has made made both me and Samara both think about, oh, should we? Is it time to watch The Hobbit? Is it time to watch Lord of the Rings? And I think they're obviously a little bit different because it's kind of the, the Peter Jackson take on all of these things. And this is 
like Peter Jackson wasn't really involved in any of this apart from a lot of these sort of New Zealand locations. And I know that for season two, they're, they're, I think they go mostly in the UK. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be quite a different sort of um, look and feel. But I think, again, like if you're a Lord of the Rings fan, if you, if you kind of like the sort of high fantasy, I think I think this is good. I think this probably is a season where I think maybe watching it again before the next season comes out will probably be helpful mm-hmm. because I think there's lots of kind of bits in here to kind of um, go back and appreciate and understand. And I think I imagine there'll be there'll be stuff coming out of these out of this out of season one for the next probably six months, twelve months as sort of fans uncovered different sort of tidbits and and bits of information. But it is such a a vast period of time between that and and the Hobbit or the the Fellowship of the Ring that a lot of those connections are only really with sort of like your super kind of magical beings. It's you you don't have sort of you know characters that live four or five hundred years yeah still wouldn't exist. So it is you you mentally want to make the connections, but I don't know that I, I don't think you necessarily need to, apart from sort of the Elrond and Galadriel. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. I am um, I would call out um, Charlie Vickers' performance. I thought as um, as Halbrand and you know, as, as as Sauron. I, I thought he was very very convincing. I thought Morford Clark as Galadriel. I thought she was a really strong lead as well. But yeah, the um, the the dwarves. I I can't go past Owen Arthur as a stand that for me. I've got a question though, Dan. The hobbits looked superb i mean just they just have a look that's distinctive and a feel you know straight away what they they smell like and everything but what was with the accent because the original hobbit movies and lord of the Rings movies gave it a very west country type sound to the voice whereas these ones very clearly were uh a very interesting irish type dialect what what do you reckon was going on there yeah well i definitely noticed the the, the irish and i i think it, it rang particularly true after just watching Dairy Girls mm-hmm. and have them talking about the weigh-ins and the you know and hearing the and I, I think the one thing here and this is probably where uh, we'll be crucified by Lord of the Rings fans are like the Brandyfoots and the um, the Proud Fellows are they are they actually hobbits or are they just are they a different halffoots yeah like they are. are is it the same as a hobbit? Like I'm not. I don't know. I'm not sure. And where are they, where are they off to? Where are they off to? You know, are they going to find the Shire? I don't know. I took them to be hobbits, but what's interesting is, um, I guess I've made an assumption there, haven't I? Uh, at no point did that word arise. Um, no, no, that's right. And that was the thing. And I guess as someone who was a little bit less, I needed maybe a little bit more connecting of the dots just because I'm real basic and I, I really want someone to spell it out so I can go, oh, that's what that means. But I think for for true fans, like I don't need that when I'm watching Star Wars, for example, and if someone did that in Star Wars, I'd probably be like, okay, yeah, we get it. I don't need you to tell me. That. So yeah, I'm I'm really, I'm wondering, just like you said with Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon, how quickly this will get a second season given the, uh, the amount of production that's ha- having to go on here because... Um, I think by the time that rolls around, you're right, a rewatch would be in order. Yeah, and I think this is sort of a, a little bit rumoured to be this could easily be a 2024 before we get mm-hmm. a season two, which is a, like, it's, as I say, it's like you've got to wait for the goods, but it's a long time, you know, like, you know, to, it's, look, you know, 
we don't really understand this industry, Paul, but like I, I feel like just that you should be pumping out these episodes, you know, just keep it going. Don't don't shut the seat down. I know that's not how the funding works, but it's it just feels like you want to at least I feel like you want to have some episodes in the bag so that you can at least kind of be putting it out every year. Yeah. And just to keep that keep that hype going. Yeah, no, I agree. So it is a long wait. But um I uh I think, you know, there was a lot of rumor around Amazon sort of saying, oh, this, if this isn't a success for Amazon Prime, this is going to be a huge disaster. And I, I think there was a lot of, as you reported a while back, the sort of the trolls that hit straight away. But overall, the ratings seem to have gone up and everyone I've spoken to thus far has been generally very positive. There were some things they did that were really well done at the end of the final episode, how they there was a, a song being sung, which essentially were the words of, the, the three rings that were forged and the seven for the dwarf, you know, from the original movie. I thought that was uh, a really nice touch. I also liked the subtleties around the the orcs and how they looked and they weren't quite fully orked. You know, they sort of were still in that sort of transitional space. I thought that was clever too. Yeah, and I, I think the other thing that was really awesome was actually some of the big battle scenes in this. Mm. So I think there was some amazing... Uh, like cavalry sort of horse scenes where there's sort of like this full charge, this full sort of adrenaline. And it was, it just sort of felt like some of those amazing like Rohan scenes from the the two towers sort of being brought back to life. And I think in a way the, the Rings of Powers does pay great homage to the great stuff we've already seen in the Lord, Lord of the Rings universe. The measures we use on this podcast then of Guns Akimbo, can you watch this with your parents? The other one, of course, is, can you watch this whilst playing Animal Crossing? I'm going to say straight away, no, you cannot, because you will Not a you'll get lost. <clears throat> this is definitely a, a pay attention. Like there was a a few moments where I, you know, you pick up your phone, you you check something on social media or whatever it may be, and and you'll miss something. I I, I really was having to like either pause, ask a question, or go back and sort of realize that this is a show that requires your your full attention. Yeah, full attention. So um. So yeah, this is a big hitter for Amazon Prime. It's um, it's had a lot of comparisons, and I guess you're better placed, of course, to make that with the House of the Dragon and those two shows running almost concurrently. Um, do you think timing-wise, when they because you, you've you've just mm, said 2024 mm. for the other as well, it's almost like those two things want to they want to sort of go separately. They almost want to have a chat to each other and say, "Hey, you have January, we'll have February." <laughs> I think, like, the only thing they have in common, in my view, is the fact that they're kind of high fantasy. Okay. Apart from that, they're they're so different and they're so tonally different. And though I think The Rings of Power was a, a complicated um, story, it was it was ultimately still quite um, family-friendly as opposed to The House of the Dragon, which is dealing with everything you can possibly imagine – um. So I I think it's there's kind of operating on on quite different levels, and I think the almost House of the Dragons more sort of like 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 uh, like the King's Court kind of drama and fa- family dramas, whereas this is like I think the Rings of Power is a more kind of um it's a different type of story and I, and so I think the comparisons are almost kind of like I think a little bit unfair and unrequired because they're they're two shows doing to, trying to do two very different things yeah okay I think that's a well I'm not in a place to judge but I think that's a good assessment I like that 
So if you want to watch the Rings of Power, you can check that out on Prime Video. All eight episodes are streaming now. Shall we uh, jump into the movie of the week, Paul? Indeed. Uh, so each week, Dan and I take it in turns to choose a movie. Or we do normally. This week, this one was essentially chosen for us with one eye on Halloween. Uh, we had a recommendation in our Discord community a few weeks back from Sador, and it felt like a good one to say for Halloween. And um, so, yeah, so we announced it in Discord. You can join us by clicking the link in the show notes, and then we review it on the podcast a week later. And here we are to talk about Malignant. This is an interesting one, Paul. So um, the synopsis of this movie. So Madison is paralyzed by shocking visions of grisly murders and her torment worsens as she discovers that these walking dreams are in fact terrifying realities. Now, I've seen this movie uh, poster title card being, you know, on a couple of different streaming platforms. Of like, we obviously watched it on, on Neon here in New Zealand. And I've never sort of clicked into it, but I've always been intrigued by the poster. And when Sador recommended it, I thought, you know what, let's get around it. I can't wait to jump into this conversation with you, Paul. I, I can't wait. I cannot believe... I, I cannot believe how much I enjoyed this movie. I guess... I, I guess I, you know, I've talked about horror. I, I kind of expected coming in that I would perhaps not enjoy it as as much as I might other movies. But this movie is so much fun. I mean, it's absolutely bonkers. The style, the style of this movie is what gives it that different edge. It, it could be described as, a, as campy or a little bit wacky at times, but it really adds to it for me. And I think once I I accepted that this was the style... I really went with it. It's kind of, I'm not sure if you remember um, uh, Robert Rodriguez's uh, Planet Terror. Uh, mm. That's a star. Once you accept it, you go forward, you have a great time with it, uh, unless it's not for you, of course. And this this was really like a real good 1980s slasher type, cheap, cheap effects at times, but deliberately incredible. I think we're going to have to just rip the bandaid off. So if you're, if you're wanting to still watch this movie... yeah. Um, then use the time codes in here because we're going to talk about spoilers. But I think what what was interesting about this movie is it felt like a a horror move a horror movie that should have been made in the that should have been maybe set in the eighties or nineties yes. as opposed yes. to kind of the um, mid two thousands because it kind of made it feel feel weird. But I think the other interesting thing is this movie. This is the three tags that's got on it: crime, horror, mystery. I would add a fourth being comedy. Correct. Because this this movie had me laughing like crazy. Like there's there's definitely a few jump scares. I think the there's a a crazy John Wick type scene at the end <laughs> of this movie. There is over the top kind of gore. There's moments of kind of intensity. I kind of appreciated what this movie was trying to do. And I, I feel like they were trying to do something a little bit different, a little bit of a callback to the past. And I think there's moments of it that really hit. And then I think there's moments of it that were just outright crazy. Like if I was to summarize this movie, Paul, I would almost call it the prequel to um, Professor Quirrell from Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> you know, ba basically walking around with the um, – the Dark Lord on the back of his head. Yes. So, so, so the big reveal in this in this movie is is obviously that there's this 
can can we just talk about the storyline because it's so crazy? It's I don't know. I'm curious as to where you're going to use to describe the what's coming out of the back of the head here. Okay, okay. So, so our our poor main character. Um, <laughs> I just I just can't. So she so she basically was born like a conjoined twin type situation, and the the twin sort of basically starts growing and it's got like arms and a face kind of growing at the the back of her head eventually like what what our main character sees this other connected twin can see it starts getting too powerful they decide to operate and remove it they can remove most of it but they kind of have to like jam its head back inside her head and then sort of stitch it back together um our main character has a a head injury which was an aggressive start to the movie and this awakens this um what are we calling this thing the 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 other twin growing inside her and it eventually starts sort of like taking over her mind and ultimately having her commit these violent crimes as a as a way to kind of like all, all, all wrongs against against the twin are, are being righted and so what's kind of weird about this movie and you can kind of see it in, in the weird effects that when when our, our main character is is being the other twin they opt they, they're walking backwards mm-hmm. they're they're doing weird running they're kind of hairs kind of like semi part and you can kind of see this little weird face poking out the back of the head and it's it's equal parts kind of genius and so ridiculous at the same time that I kind of couldn't help but have a good time. Oh, 100%. I think I, I imagine this would be like Marmite or Vegemite or whatever other, other things that really sort of, you know, you either love it or you hate it type of thing because I I feel like what makes it work though is, so this is written and directed by James Wan and I think it's, his style of directing um, that really makes this work. It could be the, obviously it's his story anyway. Uh, well, alongside a couple of other writers, sorry, but um, he, someone else could have delivered this and it may not have worked. And I think his style, and I've, I've said this with the conjuring uh, movies with conjuring three, I, I missed his style from the first two. It was superb from start to finish. And I understand um why if it's not for you it's not but it's um i think i would replace when i'm looking at those three tags as you talk i mean let's just take the crime out it's horror mystery comedy i i think those like i feel like you and i could get employed by mdb to go through a few shows and actually let's let's just reassess some of these tags because i think they people make a lot of decisions based on those tags and um i just thought the the effects of the you know like you say walking backwards and sort of just poking out between the back of the head i didn't see it coming so that was the other thing which got me i didn't I did, it was a bit of a shock for me which you know in, in hindsight maybe it shouldn't have been but i really appreciate it wasn't i thought um annabelle wallace as the lead i thought she was really really good i've never heard of her before i've never seen her in anything before i thought george young I thought he was really good as the as Detective Shaw. I really enjoyed his performance. There was just a lot of things here that, you know, on paper, probably for me, I would say, oh, no, I'll probably leave that. But um, you just this is the beauty of me of the week. You just don't know what you're going to get. It, I think that 
again, I'll just, I think it would have been better if they kind of like picked a, a, an older time period to kind of place yes. this thing. Cause I think it, it kind of really does feel like it's trying to sort of throw back to something classic. And I think the way they kind of take you on this journey is kind of interesting, right? Cause it starts off kind of like a very dark and there's domestic violence and there's um, a whole bunch of crazy stuff kind of happening and you, you, you kind of can't, place what type of vibe it is and then it kind of gets super grisly then it kind of gets a little bit funny and then it kind of gets like over the top action and like there's questions for me around how this uh how this twin became such a, a great kind of matrix level um killer when it comes to sort of having having fight scenes but it, it was kind of even just like these kind of like laugh out loud fun moments when when madison's character's in jail and oh uh, she's been picked on by these other other cellmates and then the the twin kicks in and it, it's all go like it's the, t- uh, it, the twin kicks in and she starts i don't know if you spotted zoe bell zoe bell sorry new zealand actress she was one of those prisoners one of the mouthy ones and and she's the one that gets the eyes poked through you know so you got your hands so this thing's got his hand behind its back and manages to you know poke out the oh it's you i can't as a podcaster i am unable to do justice to describe the the action scenes in sufficient detail I think this is the – actually, I'm, I'm glad the way that I came into this movie, knowing nothing about it. Mm. I I almost wouldn't recommend watching it if you're listening to this right now and thinking I might give it a go because I think we've we've ruined it for you. Yeah. I think it, this is purely a movie where you want to go on the roller coaster experience and just kind of have it sort of be uncovered in front of you and be like, what the hell am I watching? Uh, we had several several points in our house where we're like, "Say it all, what's going on? My God, what's happening?" <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, I mean, James Wan is is already on my radar because of the other movies, and I see his next project is a reboot of Knight Rider, and I already can't wait to see where he takes that. Um, but um, yeah, it's it's just a really, I think, just under two hours. It's a lot of fun. I didn't have any real criticisms either which i normally come in and say oh i didn't like this but i think you've convinced me then this this would have been better set if they just said oh 1991 or something like that it would it would have just felt better so yeah good good show i think the only thing would be if if i wasn't watching this for the podcast i may have ended up kind of checking out kind of half an hour into this being like i'm not sure if this movie's for me right. but I, I i think I'm glad that I stayed around because I think, like I'm saying, you just go on such an adventure. But I, like, I think it's a great Halloween movie, right? Yes. Like a great one to watch with the lights out and and have a bit of fun. I think it's um, if you were just scrolling, like I'd be interested in what sort of the drop off rate in a movie like this is because I think it is kind of one of those ones that generally it, it changes its tone and I think it changes it for the better. But you've kind of got to go on that journey. Hundred percent. So what are you giving this one, Dan, on the Guns Akimbo rating? I think I'm going to give it two and a half guns for me. What about you? I'm going to go three. I, I And I think that's because I just got so much more out of it than I expected. Um, and it's it's three within the context of, of what it is as a Halloween movie. I think it would be a good one to sit down because it's not just a bit scary, but there's just all the laughs. And that's what you want. You, for me, I think horror is sometimes at its best when it's got the fun element too. <laughs> And I kind of do just appreciate it. It's doing something different. And I think that's, you don't often see, well, not that I watch a lot of horror, but like you don't often see a lot of different things. And I think this this is trying to do that. So I think it gets its props for that. 
Well, this was Seidel's favorite movie of, uh, uh, of, of, of 2021. So, um, uh, favorite horror, I think. Yeah. Or favorite Halloween movie. So, yeah. um, yeah. so you can watch that here in New Zealand on Neon. And this is why we're always asking people send us your recommendations because you just never know when we might choose it for a movie of the week. You never know. Shall I uh, jump us on? Oh, no, wait. We've got a question to answer. It's first. a big, it's a big question as well, Dan, because, um, there's, there's been a lot of positive energy and a lot of big watches this week. So what is your pick of the week? I think without a doubt it's House of the Dragon. I I just love it. I, the, the final episode was peak Game of Thrones, peak drama, peak action. Blood will be spilt. They've set us up perfectly for season two. I'm, I'm here for it. What about you? Very cool. Uh, for me, The Power of the Doctor um, was just a, a wonderful story and – it it righted. I don't want to call it writing it wrong, but just the the manner in which they treated uh, some of these past doctors who have given so much to the fandom through countless conventions and other things. And realistically, they only spent a couple of years of their life. You know, each of them. Uh, I think it was just a lovely way to to treat that. And um, it's this is a show which is on the. It's just for me is is right up there. It's uh, really good effects and really good fun it's i can't wait to catch up over the next 12 months awesome shall i jump us on over to the news let's go all right all right all right so uh what have we got first so it looks like dc films has finally found their new creative talent to lead the studio forward so james gunn and peter uh, Safran are going to be co-CEOs as they take uh, DC Ford into a bright, brave new feature. I love the idea that they're co-CEOs. Like this feels like a sitcom waiting to happen. Like being co a co-CEO with anyone feels like a great time. And uh, look, James James Gunn, he's got the the great repertoire of films behind him, so I'm sure he'll do wonderful things. It, uh, for, it never works out. It never works out when you have co co-directors. You know. The, the the two Chris Chris Lord Philip Miller was it who got kicked off of Solo the uh, the co managers Roy Evans and Gerald Houllier that didn't work out I mean, co anything I just don't think I mean maybe co hosting a podcast is about as far as it goes then look I think you know even if we go to the office right when Michael Scott and Jim were co managers <laughs> you know it, it doesn't work it doesn't out work out. Speaking of DC, it looks like we are going to get more Superman with uh, Henry Cavill, which is very good. You and I are both big fans of Henry Cavill's performance as Superman. And his announcement this week is, I think, great news. And it's, I think this is hot off the heels of this other um, new heads of sort of studio announcement. I think it's it's promising sign for, for DC. Overdue. How many times have I said Man of Steel needed some sort of sequel? We've I've said it before. Forget about the Justice League, whatever. Just give this guy another. So you've done it, Paul. I've, you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders, but you've you've done it's it. It's worth it. It's worth it. Speaking of uh, Doctor Who, which we've talked a lot about this episode, so Disney Plus is going to become the new home of Doctor Who outside of the UK, which I I think is is great news for all of those Who fans, and great that it's going to have a, a new home. Massive news. Uh, Apple TV, you're right, Paul. Apple TV Plus Thank you. is getting a price increase. There you go. I never say the plus. It's a plus. It's uh, a plus uh, on the price as well. It's, it's plus everywhere. So I don't have the, the new numbers for New Zealand, but it looks like 
it's it was four ninety nine in in the US going up to six ninety nine. So I imagine we'll probably be getting a sort of what probably about a six dollar increase here. So I'm sure that information will be coming soon. But like all these streaming services, I think it's going to cause people at some point to they're going to have to make decisions what ones are staying, what ones are going. I never want to say anything too bad about streaming services because you never know who's in, who's listening. But I do feel that the way Disney uh, changing their pricing is a little bit. Uh, it doesn't sit well with me. So they're basically saying um, the price you pay today is what is now you're going to get for your adverts. If you want to have no adverts, you have to go up a price tier. Whereas Netflix, to be fair to them, they've said this is now this is your product without adverts. If you'd like a cheaper product with adverts, you can buy it for this. I don't like the way it's like. Oh, you you still pay the same, but now you get ads. I think it should be an opt in situation, not opt out. That's that's very cheeky. I am I'm with you on that. And I think, you know, it is getting to the point where well even here we've got about ten different streaming services and there's like it's really I think, you know, it's kind of going back to that old model of actually do you really want to have all these streaming services or actually are you just gonna have sort of one or two core and sort of swap them in and out? Exactly. This is why Who knows? Neon and Prime Video will always be the preferred providers and streamers at this stage. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. So um, what else? We've got two more things here. So Succession Season 4 will premiere in spring 2023. So that means we'll be getting um, another season. Potentially the final hasn't been confirmed yet, but it is rumoured uh, next year. So that is great news for those fans of Succession. That is a show that I definitely need to catch up on. And then the final bit of news for me is it's not going to be very good for people listening to a podcast, but uh, Amazon Prime has, sorry, Prime Video. I'm giving them all the wrong titles. They've released their first images of their new Fallout TV series, which is based on the Fallout video games. Looks very interesting. We've got some characters. Looks like they're from Vault um, 33, looking into a, an open vault door from someone from the outside. This, this has got the potential to be another great TV show. Always, you know, approach with caution when we're dealing with video game content, but I feel like w we've had a good run, so I'm expecting good things. But that is me, Paul. Anything from your end? Uh, just one other thing on the subject of Conjuring. Um, New Line Cinema is developing a sequel, uh, Conjuring 4, with Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga and... No mention of James Wan at this stage, so watch that space because this is a franchise which, prior to this podcast, Dan, was not on my radar, but it is very much so now. Mm, very good. Uh, let's go over to Mailbag. Very quiet this week, actually, Dan, but we did have your old mate, uh, the comedian Hassan Minhaj. Uh, he he shared our review, or your review, sorry, of the of the King's Jester on Twitter, which is um, which was pretty cool. Um, also have a shout out to a listener in Sydney, Australia, Jamie Kay. He loves listening to the pod and he loves hearing my dulcet tones once a week. So the truth here is, is that I actually went to school with Jamie back in the, uh, well, we've known each other since the, since the mid eighties and, uh, both of us in the, in the West country of, of England now found ourselves on the other side of the globe across the pond from each other. And so it's always nice to have someone you know listening in. Um, I was always annoyed at you, Jamie, 
as a kid, I'm going to be honest, because you're always better at me than football. And then I was also annoyed at you as a teenager because you were better looking than me. And I never thought it was fair that you should have both of those two things. So I'm just letting that know that some 20 years later. Well, he better not sell a podcast for because we can't even have a bigger podcast than you as well. <laughs> so. right. Well, he supports Portsmouth, so I guess two out of three ain't bad. But uh, thanks for listening, uh, Jamie. Um, and then the, the final thing this week, Dan, is our uh, peak performance, which last week was... Robert Redford and so we had a couple come in uh a patreon Michael Chambers uh come in with a 321 spy game the candidate and number one all the president's men which is another absolute classic movie alongside Dustin Hoffman I love that movie uh Jason from Puerto Rua went with Lion for Lambs um big movie opposite Tom Cruise and Mel Streep uh our patreon producer Diana went with The Last Castle, which was my honourable mention last week. And then finally, Paddy from Time Travelling Tink Podcast gave us his 3-2-1, Spy Game, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, and number one was Butch Cassidy and the Sun's Ants Kid. That's Mailbag, Dan. Great, uh, great shouts. Shall we jump on over to our peak performance for this week? Yeah, so much like the movie of the week, each week Dan and I take it in turns to choose someone from the movie TV industry and try and pick out what we think is their best performance. Who have we got this week, Dan? This week, Paul, we have got Demi Moore. So I feel like Demi Moore is a is a, a fascinating character. Um had a, I, th- I feel like a great run in the in the nineties, and was a, a real sort of, in my view, sort of a a female action action hero, and I think for for me, her honourable mention I think this week is going to go to the the nineteen ninety two movie A Few Good Men. This was a, a great uh, courtroom drama, also starred Tom Cruise, Jack Nicholson, and. I just remember, like, it's been a long, long time since I've seen this movie, but I, I actually wouldn't mind giving it a rewatch. I, I remember having a, a relatively good time with this one. And it's interesting seeing these sorts of characters in uh, sort of different settings, like, you know, particularly when you think of, like, Demi Moore and Tom Cruise, sort of at more kind of action-orientated roles. This mm. was a, a little bit more slower pace, but it was a, a great movie. But for my peak performance for Demi Moore, as I can't go past G.I. Jane, so this movie came out in 1997. This mo- I, I, I rewatched this movie 18 months ago, two years ago. Demi Moore fully coming into the role, shaving her head, going full Navy SEAL, I just thought this was incredible. It was a great, like, Ridley Scott kind of classic, you know, just before the 2000s. Great soundtrack, great effects, real gritty, real... Like, it's just a, a, a good... Like, it's it's a good movie. It's It's got some... It's got an amazing performance by Viggo Mortensen, and, and he's, he's hardly recognisable, but it was a, just a, a fantastic movie. So, for me, A Few Good Men and G.I. Jane. How about yourself? I really wanted you to say her name first because I wasn't sure how you were going to pronounce it because I've always said Demi Moore as well, but of late, I feel like like everyone's saying Demi Moore and it's kind of like there's, it's kind of like I used to say Ralph Fiennes and now everyone's like, no, 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 it's it's Rafe Fiennes. And so I don't know how you say it, but we are a little bit in sync then, I'm pleased to say. Uh, Honourable mention for me this week is as... Lieutenant Commander Joanne Galloway in 1992's A Few Good Men. 
Uh, and yeah, everything you said, I mean, with, you know, in amongst some real big hitters and she stands out. And I really, what I love about this is that always that, uh, you know, that dynamic between her and Tom Cruise's character, there's a clear dislike for each other. You know, she should have been given the case, but this, this guy's come in and, and, and then she's also the one, you know, she has, her character has the guts to, to call up Jack Nicholson's character to the stand. It's a, I mean, it's just an absolute great nineties courtroom classic. And I think the way you summed it up, you, you know, you'd normally expect a bit more action from this sort of a cast. And so I think it's, um, I think there's also some, some peak times of people like Jack Nicholson and, uh, but to me more, this is like a peak, peak time. If you take, forget about the movies, but actually sort of that sort of look and feel, it's just like, this is real, real peak. So that was great. Just two years between my two choices this week. And so my peak performance is two years earlier and that's 1990s ghost. And, this is this is just a, a a classic for me. It's and it's so sad, and I don't know. I think this resonated with me. And it stuck with me because I, I remember as a teenager, you know, sort of getting ready to sit my college exams and uh, being stressed about that. And I do I do remember crying to this movie, and I and I don't know what other movies I can say as a teen. I can remember that happening, and I think the chemistry between her and. And, and Patrick Swayze was, it just felt real, real genuine. And I can still hear Demi Moore saying Sam, which was, you know, Patrick Swayze's character. And so that audio, that soundbite of her saying his name has stuck with me for many years. So it may not rate as highly as some other movies. In fact, I see it's lower than, you know, A Few Good Men. But for me, it's my peak performance. Are you still doing pottery, Paul, out in the, in the shed with your, your pottery work? It's the <laughs> It's one of those things, right? Every time you see someone doing pottery, it's iconic, right? Um, I, the answer is no, and uh, it's, it's not for me. Um, but it's uh, the song, you know, all of those things make it no, a, good, real, good a real classic. Hey? So, uh, yeah. No, it's a, it's a good shout. I, I nearly put it on my list, but uh, so I'm glad you covered yeah. it. So that is our peak performance for this week. So, Paul, I guess that probably brings us to the end of a, a slightly longer than usual Half Measures podcast. Yes, well, we had a few things to talk about this week. It was a big week of watching. Um, thanks for listening in. Thanks for making it all the way to the end. Let us know what your peak performance for Demi Moore is, or if you've got a, an opinion on the power of the Doctor, the Rings of Power, the power of the House of Dragon, all the powers, whatever it might be, or any recommendations, get in touch with us on halfmeasurespodcast.com. Also, a very special shout-out to our Patreon producers of the show, Samara Whiting-King, Trisha Brady, Diana Kanawa, and Michael Chalmers. If you too would like to become a Patreon of the show, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios. Adios.